Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. Anytime we're building a brand and we find ourselves struggling, I know it's not right. Because putting on paper who you are should actually feel easy. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gathers. And each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears and let's get into this. Come on. Good people, Dr. Sekou here. I'm looking forward to this interview and I hope you really enjoy it. I got to talk to Miss Farron Weiner. Uh, she's the founder of marketing and strategy agency Fahrenheit. And her truth was really interesting. She had this belief that she could not be a founder of a multi-million dollar company because she wasn't good at math. And over time and through work and through being comfortable with the uncomfortable, she realized she actually is good at math. And can be a, a great founder of a, of a successful company. And in fact, for a lot of the more complicated math, she would just hire an accountant. So it just shows how a lot of times we have these things in our minds that are limiter, limiters that are just false. And we need to interface with them, interact with them, and move past them. We talked about a little bit about brands that work like Coke or like Verizon, Nike, and why they work and really using the same tools and same techniques that brand marketers use to personal branding, right? How can you take what folks uh, that work in the branding world do and use it for your own personal brand, even if it's just your own personal brand with your family? It doesn't have to be anything necessarily related to uh, business. We talked a little bit about the, I'll say the darker side of marketing, you know, how much of it, of it is people actually wanting the products, how much of it is manipulation. And I think she really gave a, a great, uh, a great answer to that. And then lastly, we talked about this concept of essentialism, which is really about what you want versus what you need. And I thought it was really great discussion, particularly given the climate that we're in the world that we're in. All right, good people sit back, relax and uh, close your eyes, open your ears. This was a good one. Good people, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Ms. Farron Weiner. How are you, Farron? I'm great. How are you? Doing fantastic. Doing well. Doing well. Just to give you guys a little bit of a background, Farron was born and raised in Miami. Uh, she's the founder of a marketing strategy and branding company called Fahrenheit, which I love because it's a great play in her name. She's also host of the podcast, the Fahrenheit Podcast, where she discusses all things at the intersection of business, branding, and life. 
And prior to starting her agency, she worked at Jetsetter.com. She worked for Michael Kors and she worked for in a corporate position uh, at Sweetgreen. For those that don't know, Sweetgreen is kind of like a national fast food salad chain. One of her claims to fame that I found out yesterday in doing oh, my research oh boy. was that uh, she was the one of, if, if not the first, but one of the first people to ever create an Instagram app, which is kind of cool. True story. So uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Very happy to be here. So Farron, one of the things we do on The Truth Prescription is, as you know, the show is really about intersecting and dissecting truth and not being afraid to interface with it. Through my own life and the life of my clients and friends, really it's about once you interact and interface with truth and have that breakthrough, that's really when things can open up for you in your life. It's usually some truth we're running from or ignoring or don't want to accept. So... I usually like to start these interviews off by talking to you about, tell us something in your personal or professional life or both if they meld together, where there was a truth maybe either you were ignoring or you weren't aware of that once you accepted it, created a a big breakthrough for you. And and before you answer, I will say this. I know that you had a, a massive personal transformation two years ago. You can draw from that or you can draw from, you know, you you got a wealth of experience, but keep it story based because you're a great story as a brander. You're by nature in your DNA, a storyteller. Absolutely. (laughs) So give it to the people. So interestingly enough, the first truth that comes to mind is actually, it actually began as a lie, Mm. a lie that I had been telling myself for many, many years, which was actually that I was bad at math. Growing up in school, I was a straight A student, overachiever, and I just couldn't hang in math. And my twin sister actually was like a math whiz. Like she was three years ahead in math. And so I had this sister who was an overachiever, math whiz. It wasn't my best grade. I had teachers constantly telling me I didn't understand. I didn't understand. I wasn't good enough. It dragged my GPA down. And I went from a very early age of my life into the workforce with this belief system that I was terrible at math. And then I went into business and by business, I mean the workforce. And I studied all creative and arts in school. I never went to business school. I didn't even go to marketing school. And I started to have to deal as as a marketer with analytics and APIs and insights. And from day one, I was petrified. (laughs) And... KPIs are key performance indicators. Yeah, key performance indicators, right? So I was looking for, you know, numbers based goals or having to manage budgets, having to manage results. And I was just inherently afraid. And I would really do a dance. Like I danced around it. I would figure out these hacks to understand it. I would figure out hacks to look like I understood it more than even fully understanding it. I would avoid the meetings. I did everything in my power to stay away from this thing that I was afraid of. And then ultimately now let's cut to like years and years later. I also had this inherent belief that I couldn't start my own company because I didn't know math. I wasn't good at math. Right, right. Cut to a few years later, I'm building Fahrenheit. I'm running my entire company finances. We are profitable in our first month. We are running our entire accounting off a spreadsheet that I made one day, (laughs) you know? And lo and behold, I'm just fine enough at math. Right. And I think that what I recognized First and foremost, and of course, like I had a couple of inspiring moments in there. I went to Tony Robbins, where you learn a lot about limiting beliefs. And of course, at Tony Robbins, it was like all of these incredible 
things. And the thing that kept bubbling up for me was this idea that I'm horrible at math, that math was holding me back from going and living my truth as an entrepreneur. And finally, I was like, I have to flip the script because all of the time that I've spent complaining or living in fear of math, if I had just focused on learning it or figuring out what I needed to know, or frankly, hiring someone that was really good at it to run finances for my business, I would have saved a lot of time, a lot of pain and a lot of energy. So inherently in finding my lie, I found my truth, which was I am more than capable of being an entrepreneur, running a successful business of leading my team. And I've proven to myself all of the things I was afraid of. I can really do. There's a little white lie. And I like to share that one because so many people, I think, especially women live in a little bit of fear of that. And it was a rhetoric that I had been told many times, quite frankly, in a lot of moments by male founders or male leaders, where instead of spending the time to teach or shift the skill, it was really like a magnifying glass on what I wasn't good at. And I've become pretty good at it. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. My accountant is very proud. So that's my truth now. It's also shows or exemplifies the fact that like a lot of the math that we learn, the calculus and the algebra and all that stuff, you really don't need it to run a business, right? Those really complicated maths are really designed to help you figure out how to solve problems. But from a very practical standpoint, like you just, you need some, some basic skills to be able to have enough math to run a, run a business. And every one of us doesn't need to be good at every single thing, right? So what is another truth? Another truth of mine is I'm a great storyteller. I am a great creative and a great brand builder. And at Fahrenheit, we talk a lot about wizardry and leaning into your wizardry. So I can be a wizard at some things and not a wizard at other things. And that in and of itself is okay. I happen to want to and have the desire to grow and to learn. So I'm going to challenge myself to be a math whiz just to prove the point to that seventh grade teacher, you know, and that really mean boss that I had 20 years ago. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what I realized, it was just a limiting belief. So it's actually, this is a weird question to ask you, but what's the difference between truth and a limiting belief? Well, I think a truth is something that's irrefutable, no matter what the circumstances are. A limiting belief is something that's uh, just a lie, no matter what the circumstances are. So what I've actually found in my own personal work and work with clients is that that limiting belief usually unlocks some massive truth, some like huge, huge thing that the ego is just trying to get us to keep us safe. But once we kind of just make a few shifts and transform it, we realize, oh, actually, like, I'm actually really, really good at computations and dealing with numbers and, and figuring out. Yeah. And don't, I'm actually excellent at it. But for some reason, I got this thing in my head. My own story, quick, quick story with math was similar to you. I had like some kind of hang up about math. I just got like really aggressive about it. <laughs> just tutors and and just, I don't right. understand, I don't understand, got outside help. And eventually it began to make sense. And I realized it was more of an emotional thing than it was the actual fact of me not being able to be good at math. So here, here. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just those small little shifts that really make a big difference. So this is more of a journey question. And I have appreciation for this because um, people that listen to the show know that I spent part of my journey, I spent a, a year in acting school while I was in acting school, there were a lot of NYU film students there that would come and, and do rotation and stuff at um, Lee Strasberg in New York. So you went to NYU film school. What was the transition for you after film school 
you went there and I don't know if you went straight to jetsetter.com, but you got there eventually. Was film school kind of like a stop on the journey or you feel like it's still part of the journey? Film school was my entire journey and entire life when I was younger. And I think that I had a very clear vision of what I thought I wanted to do. And then in the act of doing it, I actually realized I wanted something different. I actually remember the moment where I realized I wanted to be behind the camera, not in front. And what I really wanted actually was to tell stories. And I was inspired by having traveled on Semester at Sea. I went abroad on a program called Semester at Sea, where you circumnavigate the globe. And I was able to really see my life in the context of the rest of the world. And I was inspired by the real stories of real people in real places. And I knew I didn't know the medium, but I knew that I wanted to explore how I was how I was going to help and support in telling those stories. And what was interesting was film became the first medium by which I was able to do that. Today is film a part of my journey, not in the traditional sense of how I once thought I would lead my career, but I think about storytelling for brands and even exactly. for myself exactly. as limitless in terms of the mediums. And so I think if anything, going to film school at the early age made me a little bit dangerous because I have a little bit of experience when it comes to directing and producing and understanding the camera and understanding casting and knowing how in the end of the day you can tell a story, whether it is on a website or it's in film, I have that ability to weave the story. And I think that ultimately is really what I've become the like the ultimate weaver. The ultimate storyteller weaver. The ultimate storyteller weaver, which I think is is a really important and critical piece of how brands today do tell their stories. Yeah. It's a really important point because when I read that in your bio, I said, you know, some people may look at this and wonder, well, what the hell was this all about? Just like people look at me sometimes and say, well, you went to school for all that time, blah, blah, blah. And what people have to realize and also for the audience listening is that everything you do in life has a purpose, even though it may not seem like it was the greatest quote unquote decision at the time, like you can take things from every experience and bring it into your present. So I totally see, I mean, I wrote this question kind of understanding the answer that I totally see how film school totally informs what, what you do today. But from the outside looking in, it would seem like that's kind of, you know, I don't, you know why is she not writing scripts and, and directing films, right? Yeah, what's so interesting too is I, t- I actually talk about this all the time with my family because when I went to NYU Tisch, I was so immersed in that world and I thought that would be my world. But I'm so grateful I went to school for that because other than just even the technical skills that I learned, being in film and television or even acting school taught me so much about human nature. And marketing is all psychology. Marketing is about having both self-awareness and customer audience community awareness. I think that I'm really able to read people and have a deep level and understanding of empathy and compassion for the human experience wherever that may may be. And so I think if you're on a journey and your journey starts to take different turns, think less about the literal meaning and more about the emotional or the tactical meanings of what are the skill sets that you were able to create and learn in order to go from one to the other. I also would say in a weird way, NYU Tisch is an incredibly disciplined school. Yeah, no, the students. There is a crazy schedule. It's a very unique way that they operate, which I think lent itself well to my work ethic. Again, does it matter what the content was that I was learning? No, but I walked out with a certain level, I think, of discipline and work ethic that I wouldn't have maybe gotten had I gone to a different type of school. Right. So uh, this question is about something you wrote. I'm going to read this quote and then ask you a question. 
fear, while scary, is beautiful and inevitable and incredibly powerful. So why do we try to avoid it, hide it, or fight it? What would happen if we acknowledged or honored it? What would happen if we shared it? So part of the premise of the show, as you know, is that the average person, most folks, are afraid of truth and interfacing with it. And to me, fear is really nothing but coming lock and step with some truth. So how do we just demystify it, engage with it? Share a little bit about your relationship with fear and how you manage it. What a great question. I have such a loving relationship with fear right now <laughs> in this moment. Big hug. Me and fear are like cuddled up in that bed with my pillow on it. What would happen if we opened up the doors and if we let fear in? And this thing, which all of us universally, all humans are experiencing, are feeling, are struggling with. And most likely there is a lot of overlap between the things we're all afraid of and the truths that we all have. What if we shared it? And I think that a lot of this has come through in my work at Fahrenheit. So Fahrenheit, we are a brand marketing agency. As you mentioned, we are 15 women working remotely. And one of the things I'm most proud of is that I do believe we have created an open environment, a really safe space where we get to be ourselves fully. And because of that, I get to lead with, a lot, with an all-encompassing vulnerability because I'm not afraid. And I get to actually share my fears with my team. And I've been watching what it's unlocked. I've been watching how it's unlocked me and what a better leader I think I've become because of it. That safe space has become a bit of a guinea pig for me to say, well, if I can share my, my fears and my vulnerability here and have it not only be received, but rewarded with kindness, with support, with love, what happens when I start to do that in my personal space and in my personal life? I think a lot of my early days of my career were rooted in fear. I think many of us, and I hear this a lot, many of us who are in working environments with leaders or bosses operate from a place of fear, sure. fear of missing a deadline, fear of not being good enough, fear of not having the campaign work, fear of being over budget, whatever the case may be. So what happens if we actually talked about those things right. with those around us or with the people that lead us or that we lead? And I think that for me, why it's become such a powerful thing is that the minute I started recognizing it to what we said before, holding space for it, cuddling it, recognizing I'm okay and I'm not alone is the minute that actually my leadership went to a different level. I want to say this, I'm not perfect at it because as we, I'm sure you uncover here on, as you talk about truth, fear is not one thing. It's not always conscious. Sometimes it takes a long time to recognize that it's there. There are areas of my life that I've learned to be fearless in. And when I say fearless, I mean, I am not fearful of the fear. And there are areas of my life I'm still learning and struggling, but I catch myself and I recognize that most of the time, the thing we are most afraid of is not as scary as it seems. And everyone is going through some version of it around us that can relate. And so for me, it's been a really powerful unlock. Fear is our friend. It is a motivator. And how powerful can we be if we learn to harness it? Yeah, there's something about transparency and, and exposure that really dilutes fear. It just makes me think about um, if you're in a dark room and you turn the lights on, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Right>? exactly. <laughs> you're like, oh. Right. And what you said about it's never as bad as it seems is, is so, so true. And I think the listeners can relate to that. But very, very important points about exposing it, shining a light on it, sharing it. Because the other thing that happens, I think the reason your leadership has taken some exponential leaps is because 
once you start to expose, then other people feel comfortable to also be transparent and honest and exposed. And it just moves all of the gunk out of the way. Your business is almost like um, a motor, a finely tuned motor that needs oil and it needs, you know, it, it needs flow. It needs to be able to to move. And all of those things, the hangups, the fears, the, you know, microaggressions, all that stuff, it just stops the move, the forward movement. I think by exposing that yourself top down, you're giving other people, you know, the chance to do that as well. So you're giving people permission, which is really interesting. And we had a team call, which we actually recorded and we put it on the Fahrenheit podcast on burnout. Probably, I mean, at this point, almost a year ago. Okay. And it was a really open very vulnerable conversation between everyone on my team about the feelings of burnout. And at some point in the conversation, one of the girls expressed that she feels like a fraud all the time. Like she doesn't feel like she knows what she's doing. Meanwhile, she crushes her job as her boss. I can tell you that. And we said, who in here feels the same way? And all 15 people, including myself, raised their hand. And we all started laughing Because I think it was this moment where she was like, I have been riddled with so much anxiety, feeling this fear, thinking I was the only one. And it's like, oh, everyone feels this way in life. Cool. I'm no longer afraid of that feeling. Or I can start to work through some of those feelings that I'm afraid of because I know I'm not alone. And I know, quite frankly, it's pretty normal in business. I feel very blessed to be working in the world today where we are given more, I'm not going to say all, but more permission to have these types of conversations. Even the fact that you and I are sitting here today, I think is special. Special. Yeah. Every every moment is special. Definitely. Quick question about, you've probably gotten this type of question before, just a general brand question. I was just thinking, you know, why do brands like Coke work? But then further, brands are just like you, if you look at like a personal brand, you apply the same principles to a personal brand as you would do to to a product. And so for the listeners, you know, I have creatives and artists and professionals who listen, talk about personal brand in relation to like a big brand that's been a, a great brand for a long time, like Coke or Verizon or one of these companies. What are some of the tools that they can extract from the process that they've used in branding to their own personal brand? Well, I think there's a couple of things. First, I think you have to, and I believe this now more than ever, having left working full-time in-house at organizations and now at Fahrenheit working with multiple brands across different industries, you have to do what is authentic to you. And I don't necessarily mean authenticity, but if you are forcing yourself to do something because you believe others are doing it or you're watching others do it or you think you should be doing it, it will never work. Yeah. The brands and the businesses that I believe today really work are the ones that are just unabashedly themselves themselves. Okay. Now within the being yourself, I think some of the frameworks that are powerful for building of big businesses and big brands can really work for you at Fahrenheit. We talk a lot. And really what our whole podcast is about is about how the way that we build brands, the brand strategy is actually a similar blueprint for building your life. So sitting down and saying, what is my positioning? What is my mission? What is my vision for the future? What is the value set that I want to live by? What is my tone of voice? How do I speak to my community? What is the visual identity and representation that I want to present to the world? So giving yourself guardrails and a framework is, I believe, an essential starting point and one that, don't tell anyone who hires us can do, but I believe anyone can do it. You have to just, my friend Musa famously says, you just have to sit down with a pen and paper and write. 
and rewrite it and rewrite it again and rewrite it again and scratch it out and then do it again until you have like this blueprint for your personal brand, right? And what you want to give and bring to the world. That feels good. Yeah. That feels good and feels right. Anytime we're building a brand and we find ourselves struggling, I know it's not right. Because putting on paper who you are should actually feel easy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And you know what's really interesting? People who throw themselves birthdays or weddings often know a lot about their brand. Because in the weirdest of ways, and I talked about this also before, but in the weirdest of ways, when you are creating of yourself, right? An expression of yourself, that is your, your brand come to life. So really try and not think about the fancy idea of what building a brand or brand strategy is, but really an authentic roadmap or blueprint of who you are. Then from there, think about tactics to express that vision. If this is what I'm all about, how do I get that out to my audience? If this is my look and feel, how do I show that to my audience? And I think inherently by being of yourself, by being yourself and channeling yourself through marketing, you will start to attract a tribe that is like-minded to you. And that I think is the ultimate goal of personal brand. From there, it's all marketing, but I think that's a different, a different topic. Yeah, it is. Actually, topic I'm about to go to. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Perfect segue. So this one, because I, I would call it, you know, you're kind of like a mindful marketer. Right. Yes. You really, really care about, think about what you're doing, why you're doing, right? The intent. We spoke about that earlier. So how do you balance like the emotional impact of marketing with the desire to have people interface with companies and brands that they actually fundamentally love? Right. Because there's a little with marketing, it could be a little bit of how can I, manipulation that could occur. How do you stay integral with that? I think marketing brand are two different things. They obviously work in harmony and they are connected, but marketing is the sprint and brand is the marathon. Brand to me is the long-term storytelling of your brand, of your mission, of your values, of your vision, of who you are. And I think it is the fostering when done right of a real community. At the end of the day, yes, my job is to market brands and businesses. It is to help them grow. I feel very lucky to be in a position where one, I get to work with incredible founders. And for me, one of my missions, back to what we talked about earlier, is to democratize great branding and help founders build their brands. In the weirdest and, and strangest of ways, what I recognized was I am, as, I am as passionate about supporting founders as I am about brand building. So one is, I think, intentionally working with people who I believe in and who I think have a vision and a voice. Two is understanding that there's something for everybody. And that if every brand is trying to attract their tribe by giving people products, services, or brands that they want to ultimately buy into, I'm hoping that we're making their lives a little sweeter, a little better in a lot of ways. That's the ultimate purpose and power of brands and businesses for you to find something you love to eat, a new favorite face cream. Yes, at the end of the day, marketing can be manipulation, but it also can be bringing products, services, programming into the lives of people to make an impact. And so maybe it's a little bit idealistic, but that's the way that I look at what I do and the way that I try to, the way that I try to think about brand building today, which I do think is very different than marketing 20 years ago, right? Today, it is about making people's lives in some ways a lot better, bringing them tools to live a better life, even if it's just for fun, 
And brand building today is less about putting a billboard up on the highway and more about how do I create a moment for my audience and my consumers. Right. And having that personal connection, right? That one-on-one personal connection. Okay. No, that that makes sense. I mean, I think the net net of it is that at the end of the day, it's really about your intent. You know, if you're just like some grimy guy trying to manipulate folks, then that's what you're going to do. And if you're not, then you won't. And if you're looking for speedy growth, there are a lot of hacky ways to go do that. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) I love that word hacky. (laughs) There are are hacky ways to go do that. That's not our way. That's not my way. You know, I like to say we do things the hard way here at Fahrenheit. Okay. We do things the slow, thoughtful, methodical, intentional, hopefully human way. Because that's how I believe real brands are built. And you know, it's funny. We we talk about the Nikes and the Coca-Cola's of the world. Think how long those brands have been building their brand and building their story. That is not a, that is not a sprint. That is a real marathon. If anybody wants to read an interesting book about building a company, Phil Knight's book is like, yeah, it's amazing. And I think just a basic principle of life is how you start is how you end. So if you start off with a bang blow, you look at anything that starts off, you know, in five seconds, they shoot to stardom. It shoots to stardom. It's gone in in a year. It's gone in two years. So it's that real slow, slow grind that will provide long-term success. So you did a podcast on essentialism episode that I listened to. I liked it. I hadn't heard the word before. And so I wanted to bring it to my audience. So talk a little bit about the concept of essentialism and how it's helped you. The concept of essentialism, and by no means do I consider myself an expert. And I think I've kind of created my own meaning of this word for myself, which is what I share on the podcast. Essentialism is really understanding the difference between what you want and what you need. And sometimes in order to create clarity, going back to the basics, I felt like I was on this sort of spiral a few years ago in my life. I was on a path in a career. I was on a path in my relationship. I was on a path in crafting and creating a life that ultimately was not really rooted in in, in me. And it was sending me down all these different avenues, these avenues that were getting me further and further away from, quite frankly, being happy. And on paper, I had everything that I could have wanted or asked for, but I was not happy. Mm. And I started to actually ask myself this question of like, what do we define as happiness? Because successful... And happiness are two different things. So first I had to define what I meant for myself in success. And then I also had to make a decision that I wanted to be happy. And through this lens of like, can I be successful and happy at the same time? I started to try and create clarity for myself. And it wasn't until I eradicated a lot of things that I was able to see and be more clear on what that was. And when I talk about essentialism, I can talk about it in literal way which is for me, I actually recognize that like literally I don't need that much stuff. I lived in a studio apartment with a bed in the middle. Right. I they talk, br- I your mom brought you to couch. You told him, take it back. <laughs> told her to take it back. I talk about how I really have learned to love the days where it's like a cup of hot coffee and really good Wi-Fi, and I'm yeah. good to go. And a piece of toast. And, just, and a piece of toast <laughs> and celebrating and enjoying the things we need, right? And those small things that actually do make us happy. So I can talk about it from a tactical and a technical side and also the emotional side, which was for me, getting rid of all the things I've been told in my career I should do, getting rid of the ideas of what my career should be, getting rid of and removing all of the noise and focusing in on myself and what I knew or what I knew I needed 
What were my non-negotiables? What was the filter for decision-making that I had to look at my life at? And then ultimately running towards that. And so I would offer up this challenge for anyone who is struggling that it's actually less about doing and more about being. And in fact, you and I share a mindfulness teacher, Mitra, and I had a moment with her. I'm going to show you right here. I have a post-it right here. Being versus doing, be more and do less. And sometimes in order to grow, we need less and we need to do less. And that is what essentialism is really all about. I didn't think of this before when I listened to the podcast, when you were talking, I was thinking about that old Erica Badu song, Bag Lady. You know that song? Yeah, yeah, I do. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, we carry around all these bags, right? Both physical and emotional. And it's really about, hey, what do we really need? And the other point you made was how it was so interesting that when we were in probably, you know, the biggest pandemic or the biggest global crisis in our lifetime, people were just consuming more, which is almost like the opposite of of what uh, what we probably need to do. Anyway, I, I encourage you to talk about Maslow's Triangle. I encourage anyone to go check it out, Fahrenheit Podcast. It was not the last episode, but the episode before the last. It is really interesting. And again, you know, by no means am I, I say Look this on the podcast. Lamp back there. You don't need that lamp. I see back there. Yeah, don't I don't need, need I don't, I actually don't. <laughs> actually, if you want to know the truth, so I'm living in my parents' house in Miami. I decided to get rid of my apartment in November okay. of this past year. I Back to the basics. I got rid of my apartment. I put all of my stuff in storage. I've been living with one suitcase for the last six months. First of all, I overpacked. I feel like I overpacked with my one suitcase. And I was living in Mexico for three months and now I'm home in my parents' house in Miami. And I was, I'm living in this room that is now my office and my bedroom. And this past weekend, my mom and I went through this room and I removed as much as I could. If you notice, there's one lamp there, but there's not one there. I got rid of all this extraneous stuff because it was just kind of weighing me down. And I think creating a distraction again, and I'm at a point and a moment where I'm feeling ready to clear some air. And so for me, it's just what's worked for me. Creating clarity is one of the most powerful things we can possibly do. And creating clarity for me is like a step-by-step process. You think you're there, you go deeper. You think you're there, you go a little further. And for me, again, one of the things that's worked is removing things. And so- For anybody who takes this challenge on essentialism, let me know if it works for you. Yeah. Start with uh, something simple, like like an old watch you haven't worn in three years. Yeah. All right. We're going to jump into, in our time left here, we're going to jump into a section I call yes or BS. So I uh, make a statement and then you say yes or BS, and then you can expound or expand on why you think it's true or not. Great. And if you're feeling especially, you know, you can... Say the, the full word BS if you, you, if you really feel strong about it. <laughs> okay. okay, great. All right. Number one, soul cycling in the physical studio is more fun than soul cycle at home. Yes, but I love at home too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good answer. Number two, I'd be interested to see how you think of this. Efficiency is a way to numb emotion. Bullshit. Okay. <laughs> My um, point with this one was sometimes we can get a lot of stuff done, but we're not, we're just kind of getting stuff done. We're not really mindful. We're not really going through the, we're not actually feeling what we're doing. We're just doing what we're doing. So that was my whole, uh, my whole. Interesting. Cause if you had said productivity, I would have had a different answer. Ah, okay. Number three, 
A woman's relationship to her father is a determinant of her success. BS. BS. Okay. I think that you can change your fate. Agreed. Agreed. Number four. The red door on the Fahrenheit podcast logo stands for the flame of creativity. I really like that meaning, (laughs) but no, it's BS. The red door on the Fahrenheit podcast really represented stepping in and going inside and opening our doors. Yeah. The ones that we keep really, really closed. (laughs) Right. Closed shut. You mean most of them? Locked. Yeah, most of them. (laughs) All right, one, two, three, four, five. All right, number five. Mindfulness is being full of mind. BS. Good. Hmm. Mitra <laughs> would be proud of us. Yes, yes. he would. Mitra, <laughs> we love you. All right. <laughs> so much. Number six. Don't ask where I got this from. Anger is a useful tool in branding. Bullshit. <laughs> Hard. No. Tell me why. Hard, no. I don't find anger to be a useful tool in anything. There you go. All right. Because I think anger is toxic for the person who is owning it and does not always land on the people who they want to receive it in any real, really productive way. So I find anger to be an unproductive tool. Unproductive. All right. Mm -hmm. Number seven, women are more intuitive than men. Yes. (laughs) 100%. Agreed. I actually, um, well, we'll talk about that later, but I actually- um, I think there's some science somewhere that would agree with me too. Uh, yeah, probably. Probably. A lot of like when I hire folks for a lot of creative stuff, I always prefer women because even my, it's just, yeah. All right. No, last one. Number eight. Survival shows like Naked and Afraid, Fear Factor can help you survive life. Yes. <laughs> And if you're listening to anyone out there, I will come on your show. I'm like obsessed with Naked and Afraid. I am their number one fan. I have never missed an episode. I have rewatched every season. Wow. Wow. And. Well, it's like the crux of essentialism, right? You just naked out the there crux, with nothing. Crux of essentialism and also a game of what I think is mental fortitude. Yeah. And something I aspire to have a lot of is mental fortitude. I think. What I've really recognized going through my journey is life is just a series of challenges, of opportunities, of moments, of decisions. It's actually how we react to those moments and decisions and challenges and opportunities that craft our life. Or don't react. Or don't react. Either one. Right. But no matter who you are, no matter how much you believe you have, we actually are all faced with the same challenges and the same moments and life is is tough that saying is just true it's how you decide to live with that toughness that ultimately creates your life and so i think maybe for me those survival shows are just lessons in how you react to how you handle how you lead yourself and show up in those most challenging of moments you know i always wonder what survival item i'd bring i still haven't figured that one out do you know what you'd bring Probably a knife. A knife, yeah. Yeah, yeah probably yeah. not. Yeah, totally agree. I, I do this, This I teach this um, course. It, basically, it's called Real Leadership is, is Self-Leadership. And it's the same thing. Mm. It's like you've really got to have a strong internal, some strong internal fortitude and really, you know, have a compass. Know what you're doing, where you're going, 
and just be vigilant about getting back on course. We're always, always going to get knocked off course, but be vigilant about getting back on course as quickly as possible. Yeah. A girl on my team this past week said something to me. She said, you're, you're the ultimate de-escalator. It's so funny because I was not. In my 20s, I escalated everything. Every decision in business was dramatic. I used to fight with colleagues and I would cry when I didn't get the budget that I wanted. Like I was so emotional and I escalated everything. And it really wasn't until I started my mindfulness practice that I actually recognized there's the power of de-escalating those moments, the power of taking a step back and being really thoughtful and mindful. And all of that, the ability to de-escalate comes with an internal strength, an internal strength where it's like, all right, when the wind is howling, I have to be the pole. And again, it's not being a mindful leader is not about perfection. It's not about getting it right all the time. I fly off the handle. Sometimes I still get really anxious or really frustrated. You fly off the handle? No. I think actually, to be honest, I probably don't really fly off the handle anymore. I used to, okay, and I've learned not to, and I've learned the power of not doing it all through this idea of mindful leadership. So I think that's a really, that internal fortitude, fortitude. And by the way, like that's not a technical skill you learn in school. That's something where anyone can learn it. It just takes practice. Correct. Matter of fact, we're not taught it in school. No, (laughs) intent, right? It's like intent and practice can take you really far. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So- the take-home message, folks, is look at the survival shows. Look at Naked and Afraid, yeah. Fear Factor. And then and, lean uh, <laughs> just like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Farron, um, this has been great. Thank you so much opening up your mind and your home to us. I think they, they got a little bit of little bit of insight. A little bit of insight awesome. into to what it takes. What it takes to be that to be that pole when pole when the wind is blowing. When the wind is blowing. Well, thank you so much for having me and keep speaking the truth. Right. So I will sign off as I always do. The truth will set you free if you let it.